Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you here on a long weekend. You're the, you're the committed, you're the faithful. Well done. Love it that you are here and are not traveling around. And uh, if you have your Bibles, then please turn to Exodus uh, and chapter 3. We're going to read a chunk of scripture here as we continue our series in Relentless, looking at characters from the Old Testament. Uh, throughout the summer. If this is your first time, I know Steve has already welcomed you, but my name is Glenn and I'm one of the pastors here and I have the joy of pastoring Willow Park South as the campus and so when I finish preaching here, I jump in my car and I go and I literally go through the front door, somebody puts a microphone on my face and I go straight onto the stage and preach again. So uh, it's pretty chaotic, but it's actually a lot of fun. And so uh, I have an incentive. I keep this really short. I might have time to just nip into the coffee shop on the way. But that doesn't happen very often because I get too involved in what I'm preaching and, and uh, I use up all my time. So let's, uh, let's read from Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to read quite a few verses from this well-known passage. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet he was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you. To Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am who sent me to you. Just an incredible passage of scripture, a very famous passage of scripture. And when I approach uh, a passage to preach, I always ask questions of the passage. I want to know what it's telling me about God. I want to know why God chooses to say and do what he does say and do. And so we're going to work through this passage, and as we go, we're going to answer some of the questions that maybe you've never thought to actually ask 
of this scripture. Some just little nuggets that are buried in this text that I find quite fascinating, but I also believe will show us aspects of God's character that will be really encouraging to you this morning. So I want to jump straight in. I've got four points, although I shouldn't say that. My pastor used to always tell me, don't tell them how many points you've got because they'll just count down. Okay, we've got three to go, two to go, one to go. I'm spending a long time on this one. I'm sure he'll do shorter on the next one. And so I know all that dialogue's going on, so I'm just going to ignore that, just push it out of my mind and jump right in. Number one, point one, what does this passage tell us? It tells us that we serve a God of perfect timing, a God of perfect timing. Verse 1 says this, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Everybody say keeping. Keeping. Okay, good. You did way better than last night's crowd, so (laughs) keeping. This word keeping is is an interesting word. It's, it's It's a continual sense. What it actually means is this, is that Moses was watching and watching and watching And watching day in, day out, this was his life. His life used to be, 40 years previously, he was the prince of Egypt. He had the best education, he had the best socio uh, standing, and he had the best amount of money, he had all this wealth, and 40 years later, he is now in the back end of a desert looking after sheep, and they're not even his sheep. If you could ever say that somebody's life was at a dead end, you could say that about Moses. He had fallen from great heights, their society would say, to basically nothing. There's nothing good about looking after sheep. I, come, uh, I, I, I pastored a church in, in Wales and, and, and lived in Wales for many years. And Wales is well known for its sheep. Just like New Zealand and Wales, there are sheep everywhere. Like everywhere. And if you get up close to a sheep, they don't look like that fluffy, cute little sheep that you see on Pinterest. They really don't. They are filthy smelly animals that poop every three or four minutes, and, and it's true, it, it, and, it, and it, I don't want to be too graphic, but it doesn't necessarily come out clean, and, and it just, this thing, multiply that by hundreds. Moses lived with these sheep. He spent time with these sheep. He would have smelt like a sheep, possibly look a little bit like one with his beard, and You know, there's nothing good about what's happening in Moses' life right here. So much so, in verse 11, it says, he says to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? God, have you you taken a look at what's going on? Forty years ago, I would have been in because clearly, God, there was a lot to choose from. I was the best of the best. But now, I'm nothing. See, this tells me two things about God. Firstly, is God's choice is rarely the same as our choice. Those of you who have been a Christian for many years, I'm sure you would say, amen. He does not choose what we choose. He does not choose the people that we would choose. I only have to look at my own life and see the call of God on my life and know what I used to be like 
and know how I used to act and how I used to think and to a certain extent how I still struggle and I go, God, why would you choose me to stand in front of hundreds every weekend and preach the gospel? And God says, it's because of all that that I choose you because he doesn't choose what we choose. You see, God's choice is a perfect choice. And he chose Moses because he had nothing to offer. I love that. There was nothing about Moses' life where Moses could say, yeah, well, I can understand why you would choose me because I'm pretty good. You know, I've made it. I've got the education. I've been to seminary. You know, I can quote. I can point. I can communicate well. You know, I look good in a beard. There's just... There's just so much to choose from here, God. No, God waited until the desert life had literally stripped him down to nothing. And then God said, now you're ready because you have nothing to offer me. You have nothing to point to as your security or confidence. Now I'm going to use you. The second thing this verse tells me is that God's timing is rarely the same as our timing. You see, God's plan was in fruition at the point of this burning bush. There was the plan that was happening in Egypt with the Israelites and the slavery that had come after Joseph had died, and there had been a few pharaohs, and it had been forgotten who Joseph was, and the Israelites were now, were now uh, getting a bigger and bigger people group, and so they were put into slavery to keep them down, but God's plan was working. All at the same time, God's plan was working in Moses' life. Moses would never have chosen this timing. But at the burning bush, the two plans come together and God says now. And I wonder how many of you need to know and be reminded of that this morning. That God's timing is not our timing, but it is always perfect and always brilliant. I wonder how many of you can say, you know, I can remember times in my life when it just felt like God took me right to the very edge of desperation and then he broke through and did something. Can I encourage you if this morning that you are waiting for something or you feel like you're in a desert, maybe you feel like you're in a desert marriage or a desert job or a desert situation, can I encourage you that God's timing is often, most of the time, very different from our timing. We need to trust that he knows what he's doing, not only in his choice, but also in his plan. There are plans that are happening outside of your life that you don't know about, that he is controlling and beautifully orchestrating just so that that point when the burning bush happens in your life, and then you can go, oh, I can see now why God had me wait. I wonder how many of you need to be reminded of that this morning. Number two, We learn that God is a God who has to be experienced. Verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire. Out of the midst of a bush he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Notice that Moses didn't turn aside because the bush was burning. Nothing unusual about a bush burning in a desert. But he turned aside because the bush wasn't being consumed. But why did God choose to appear to Moses like this? This is one of the questions that I had. Why the bush? Why the fire? I often get asked, 
Um, as many of you know and perhaps have noticed if this is your first time, I do not have a Canadian accent. I am a Canadian citizen. I'm very proud to be Canadian uh, and I'm very proud to be British. And I come from Britain and I often get asked, what is it that you miss most about Britain? And I have usually got two answers. First of all, fish and chips. Because as you know, the Brits are well known for their food. The delicacy and the, the taste, the care in preparation, chopping those potatoes so carefully. We're well known all around the world for our beautiful food. Not at all. If you like stodgy, then we're good. And I say, oh, I love fish and chips from Britain. And, and you know, you're, you, I, I love the Canadians because they immediately want to help. Well, have you been to, have you been to Codfather's? Or have you been to this place? And, and they're good, don't get me wrong, but they're not British. Because the fat in which you put the fish and the chips in in Britain is at least from the Victorian age. And so <laughs> the taste, the succulent, fatty taste is not the same as good as your Canadian fish and chips is. So that's one thing I miss. The second thing I miss is bonfire night, November 5th. Guy Fawkes Night. How many of you have ever been in Britain on bonfire night? It's a, it's a brilliant night. Kids come out. They set, you know, they set bonfires everywhere, and it's just chaotic. And so as a church, we, we used to pastor. We used to have a bonfire night where you could invite your friends. And so all the Christians in the church, we should do this, Steve. I don't know if it's legal in Canada, but everybody in the church would give 10, uh, 10 pounds, and I would take hundreds of pounds of money to the fireworks shop, because that's quite legal in Britain, and buy a massive amount of fireworks. And you know, this was my aim. In my backyard, that's approximately the size of this section here in Britain, we would do fireworks. This is what I dreamed about. This is what we wanted. And oftentimes it worked out really well, apart from one particular bonfire night, where this was more like what was happening Because I had an assistant, and we were very unqualified apart from being able to light and run. That was our qualification. Uh, we, we, We didn't secure one particular firework, and it had several things that would come out all at once, and it tipped over towards the crowd. This isn't actually my backyard, but it looked a lot like this. It was brilliant. Because not only were people able to watch and observed, they experienced it. <laughs> they faced it, they tasted it, they felt it, they heard it, they smelt the burning flesh. They, they loved it. <laughs> One particular lady actually went in the house. A firework hit our back door and she jumped in and another one followed her in and hit our downstairs bathroom door. I'm sure the mark is still there. It was great. Not to be recommended, but it went down in people's memory as a night that was experienced. You see, I can describe this to you, but fire is one of those things that no matter what great metaphor I use to describe fire, it has to be experienced. It is a multi-sensory experience. You can smell it, you can taste it, you can hear it. If you're thinking, how do you taste fire, then you've obviously not been to one of my barbecues. (laughs) You can feel it. You can see it. 
You see, God is a God who we don't just know things about. He's there to be experienced, not for our own selfish ends, but he wants to impact our lives. And if you're here this morning and the God that you serve or the God you worship leaves you dry and it's boring, well, do I have to go to church? Well, I didn't go last week, so I'll have to go this week. You know what? You are not experiencing God in the way that he intended. Does he burn in your heart? Does he burn in your mind? Does there's just time sometimes when you're just doing menial tasks or routine tasks and you're suddenly overcome with the sense that you are chosen, you are loved by the God of the universe. If you do not feel that, then you are missing the burning bush experience. Because there is nothing attractive about a bonfire or a fire that has gone out and has been out for months. You don't go up to a pile of charcoal and go, ooh, this is nice. You actually want to stay away from it. It makes you dirty. It's nothing good about it. Is that a description of where you are at in your faith? Or does it burn? There's a French philosopher by the name of Blaise Pascal in the 17th century who knew about God. He understand, uh, he had a knowledge of God but he had never experienced God until one particular night. And at this night, something very special happened to Blaise Pascal. He experienced God. It changed his life, so much so that he wrote out his experience in his journal. And when he passed away, the piece of paper that he wrote on it was actually found sewn into the seam of his jacket. And this is just a little bit of what he wrote. He says this about this night. In the year of grace... 1654, on Monday, 23rd of November, from about half past 10 in the evening until about half past 12, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers or the savants. Certitude, certitude, feeling. Do you see that? See, God isn't just to be known, he's to be felt. Joy, peace, joy, 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 tears of joy, this eternal life that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I get a sense that if you asked Blaise Pascal, tell me about your experience, fire would would come a light in his eyes and he would grip you with his words and he said, let me tell you about that night. There would be nothing about his description or his experience that would leave you going, oh, I suppose that sounds all right. Because in worship and in our lives, we should have this burning sense of the presence of God. Do you have that? Has that happened to you? Has it happened to you, but it's so long past, you actually think, well, maybe it was just this emotional high, that you can look back and you can remember a time when God burned in your heart. Maybe it's never happened to you. Maybe you're just really good at faking it, just being honest. But inside, it's just cold, charcoal. Yeah. That when somebody says, tell me about your God, oh. Okay, well, I go to church. and No, no, no. Don't tell me about church. Tell me about your God. 
why should I believe in the God that you believe in? Does your light come on inside and you want to grab him by the lapels and say, yes, let me tell you about this God? Because that is the God that we serve. Number three, he is the God of all sufficiency. Verse two, he said, he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So not only did I ask the question, why did God choose to appear in the bush as fire? But my next question was, why was it that he decided to make it so that the bush was not being consumed? You ever thought about these things? Or you just read through the passage really quickly? That's what I love about the scripture. You dig in and there's some fascinating little things there that are worth studying. And the reason I believe that, that, that the bush was not consumed was because God didn't need anything else to create the fire. You see, fire needs fuel, does it not? God doesn't need anything. See, I think this speaks to God's all-sufficiency. He's the beginning and the end. He is all-powerful. He does not need anything or anyone in order to be powerful. This is a beautiful image, this burning bush, of what God says in verse 13. It says, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. You see, the burning bush was a visual of God saying, I am who I am. I don't need anything. I don't need any fuel. I don't need anything to create. I don't need anything to be. See, he heard the words and he saw and experienced that God was self-sufficient. Maybe you're thinking, Glenn, I wish I could have that burning bush. Maybe, maybe God could just reveal himself in such a way where I could understand that he is in control. Because it feels like my life is out of control. It feels like life just seems to be hitting me and bombarding me constantly. If only I could just be reminded that I could have something I could anchor my faith into. That I could have a foundation of trust that God has got my life. Well, we do. See, God gave Moses the burning bush, but we've got something so much better. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, he... Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You see, we, Moses was given a burning bush. We were given Jesus, who's way better. You want to know how, Jesus, how God reacts? Look to Jesus. Read it in the New Testament. What's he say? Look to Jesus. He is the exact imprint. He is the radiance of God's glory. He's our burning bush. He's our anchor. He's our reminder that he is with us, that he loves us so much that he died. Why did he die? He died because the punishment that you and I deserve for the sins that we willingly commit on a daily basis, he took that punishment for reasons that you will see in a minute. See, Moses was encouraged and strengthened because God's all sufficiency was so apparent. And in John 15, verse 5, Jesus said this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, please listen. Some of you need to hear this as a word. God has got this. He's all sufficient. He's all powerful. He's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. 
that you might be living daily with tears in your eyes because you are looking at just this small picture of what's going on in your life, whereas God sees the whole future. And he's saying, it's, it's okay. See, I think we have this image of God sat on his throne as like a grumpy old granddad, a little bit ticked at mankind because they're not doing what he wanted them to do. And he's a bit grumpy and annoyed and, and angry, whereas if you've ever watched a movie that can have the ups and downs and, and it's good and it's bad and you go, oh gosh, this is so bad. If you know that it ends well, then you can enjoy the movie. You see, God knows it ends well. He knows when he looks at your life, if you are a Christian, you are his workmanship. He has thought about you. That word workmanship is literally poetry. You are his poetry. He knows that that which he has begun, he will complete. And he gets excited about that. He's happy about it. He's supremely content. And he says, you can, you can have that. So no matter how hard the day is, you can know that the future is secure and it is good. And then you see, if we know that without him we can do nothing, then that brings a tremendous amount of relaxation and peace because you can look at your life and go, well, there's nothing I can do about this, but I serve a God of the burning bush. I serve a God of Jesus hanging on the cross. And he tells me, and I know it's going to be okay. Martin Luther said to a good friend of his, let Philip cease to rule the world. Because his friend was anxious and worrying. And maybe you could replace and put your name in there. Let Steve cease to rule the world. Let Glenn cease to rule the world. You know, God's, God's got this. See, anxiety and worry disappear when the truth of this sinks into our hearts. Um, one thing that I'm not a huge fan of, and I know right now that I'm taking a big risk in saying this because some of you will be very passionate about what I'm about to say and you're just going to switch off and go, I can't listen to this man anymore. And I'm not going to talk about cats because that's for another sermon. But country and western music, I, I, ooh, I, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't understand it. And there's one particular song that drives me nuts. And it's perhaps one of the most famous country and western songs that have ever been written. And as soon as I tell you the title of this country and western song, not only is some of you, or maybe all of you, going to start singing it in your mind, some of you are going to want to stand up and just sing it out loud. And I would encourage you to do so. Because there are children in the congregation and it would be fun. Are you ready? Jesus, take the wheel. Oh, Jesus take the wheel. Oh, there's two reasons why I don't like that song. First of all, it's a country and western song and I don't like it. And, and secondly, it's just not true. Where did we get the idea that we let go of life and go, okay, Jesus, now you take over? What? You never had hold of the wheel. Jesus always has the wheel. You're barely in the car or truck if you're a country and western fan. Some of you aren't even on the road. Jesus never said, okay, you drive your own life. I'll jump in when you need help. That's not the way God works. He has the wheel of your life. And he's a really, really good driver. Better than anyone in this room who thinks they're good at driving their own life. 
He's all sufficient. And if we could just let go, I wonder in what way you need to apply this to your life right now. Is it your marriage? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it your health? Please take it out of your mind. Jesus, can you just take over here? No, he's always been involved. He knows what he's doing. Maybe you just need to say, God, can you just remind me of your self-sufficiency and your power and your control? And as you look to Jesus on the cross, are you aware of his burning presence in your life? Are you aware that he stood right by you with nail prints in his hands? Where the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. You're his joy. He's right by you. If you believe in Jesus this morning, he is right with you, with his love and his control and his holiness holding you. And how is it that we, we remind ourselves of that? It's by coming to church and, and listening to gospel messages and, and spending time with Jesus on a daily basis, reading the word and, and praying. Because as you pray, you can only be reminded of the burning bush of Jesus Christ in your life. Number four, I'm reminded as I read this passage that we serve a God who is near Verse 56, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So we've thought about why is it that God chose to appear as fire? Why was it the bush was not consumed? Why is it that Moses hid his face and was afraid? Because Moses knew, because he'd heard the stories, he knew that when man Kind came into the presence of God, they died. So he was so aware of this that he literally feared for his life because he knew that God was so perfect and so holy that just the presence of sinful mankind will just get consumed and will die. So it's actually not a miracle that the bush was not consumed by the presence of God. The miracle is that Moses was not consumed by the presence of God. Because friends, you and I know that as we look at our lives, that there is so much in there that does not belong. So much rebellion, so much sin, so much shame. That how can somebody like me stand in the presence of God and more than that be invited by God to come close? Because sin separates mankind from God. Because God is all perfect and can have nothing to do with sin. Which is why Jesus died on the cross. Because if you look at this passage, uh, there's a clue as to how it was that that Moses was not consumed. In verse 2, we just have verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst. Here's the clue. The angel of the Lord... Why was it that Moses was not consumed? How was it that Moses was able to approach a holy God as a sinful man? How could he come into the presence of God? The angel of the Lord. These these aren't the angels. These aren't the flying naked baby angels that that people paint at Christmas time, which drives me mental, just like country and western. Angels, like, they're big. They're warriors. They're not flying around with harps. Where, where do we get this stuff from? I blame the country and western musicians. Like, I, I just don't understand where we get this from. 
But angels, like the archangel Gabriel, if he appeared, he may even be here. If he appeared, I will guarantee you, you will quake in fear. This is a powerful angel. These are warrior angels. These are the messengers of God. This is not what this angel is. You see, the angels in the New Testament came and said, this is what God says. This angel of the Lord says, God is me. I say this. You see, if you read the passage, there's this, this swapping from the angel of the Lord to God. And, 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 and so Moses refers to God and, and then God says, I am. And so this angel of the Lord, there's something more to the angel of the Lord. John 8 and verse 58 Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is the angel of the Lord. He comes in the authority of God because he is God. And he appeared in that bush to Moses on that day. So how was it that Moses was able to approach God? Because Jesus was present. Do you see that? How is it that you are able to approach God? How is it on a daily basis he can fill you and empower you and guide you and be part of your life? How is it that you will spend eternity as a Christian, if you are a Christian, in the presence of God? How is that? Because of Jesus. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the reason why we can approach God. And just in the same way that God can come into the life of Moses through the angel of the Lord, in the same way God can come into your life through Jesus Christ. This is such an important truth. If you do not know the angel of the Lord, if you do not know Jesus, if you do not know what it's like to have God burn in your heart, then the reason is, is because you've never approached the cross in humility. You've never approached the idea of the cross in such a way where you come like Moses and say, I bring nothing. Because faith in God starts with a lack of faith in you. So when you come to the cross, the fact of the cross, and Jesus Christ dying on the cross, when you come to that and what the Bible says, and you come with empty hands and say, I bring nothing, I can't do this, I'm sinful, I know I am, I mess up, I'm filled with shame, God help me, forgive me, then your sin gets applied to Jesus and dies with him. And then, because now you have the holiness of Jesus on your life, you can approach God. And some of you aren't there. Some of you pretend you're there, but you're not there. Well, I know about God. I know how all this church thing works. No, no, no. You're Moses before he experienced the burning bush. And you need to be careful because there will be a time when you will be held account to account for the sin in your life. And you will take the punishment. But Jesus says, come, believe, confess, come to me. I will take your punishment And I will give you life and and I will impute, put on you righteousness so you can come and be close to God. And I will change the world through you. Just like the world was changed through Moses. If he can do that through Moses, imagine what he can do through you in your world. Not the whole world, your world. And that's what he wants to do. He can change your world through you because Jesus dwells in you. 
And he is the I am. And my prayer for you, and I'm, and I'm going to be handing over to Pastor Steve in just a second to bring everything to a close, and we're going to worship, but I'm going to pray for you, and, and, and my prayer is that this morning that you will be reminded of what a beautiful experience it is to come face to face with the burning bush called Jesus, that he would choose people like you and me, it's so humbling, I can do nothing apart from him, it's so relaxing. That he would choose somebody as unchoosable as me is so encouraging. That he would change the impossible around me is so relaxing. Why would we not run to that? Well, Glenn, I think I can sort it out myself. Okay, well, all the best with that. Because you and I both know that's not how it works. And good men and good women have gone before us trying only to find out that actually they weren't that good because nobody's good in comparison to a perfect God so I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to you and, and, and it's not my words that bring you to that point of decision it's the Holy Spirit and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and it is far more, listen far more powerful than anything that Moses saw in that desert that day you can have that today Let's pray. Dear God, as I consider your scripture and read it and share from it, Lord, I'm just reminded once again of the miracle of salvation, of the miracle, Lord, that you would choose somebody like me. And Lord, I know that my prayer is echoed by hundreds this morning. That you would choose people like us. Lord, I pray that on a daily basis as Christians, that we, Lord, would fan that flame into fire. That, Lord, it would burn in our lives. That, God, we would turn aside just like Moses and we would seek you out. That, Lord, we would put aside all those things that we think are important. God, that we would look and search for you. And Lord, I pray for those in the room who do not know you. God, they have no idea of the peril that they are in. Lord, I pray now in Jesus' name that you would be working on hearts and spirits. And you would draw them to yourself. They would come under conviction of their sin. And they would confess and cry out for forgiveness. That, Lord, that they would experience the burning flame of you in their lives. That's our prayer, Lord. Nothing less. The greatest miracle is what we're asking for this morning. Praise your name, Jesus.